Our scripture passage comes from Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 30. Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 30. This is the word of God. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set, a, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly, I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman, the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. This is the reading of the Lord. Can we get that door closed? Thank you, Danny, for that. That was a terrific um, presentation, and I, I especially was uh, really moved by what you learned, uh, what you learned there about how we, how we approach God often reflects how we think about our parents. And, um, and I think that was a very profound thing that you learned about that in order to love people, you have to lose. Uh, that's, that's right at the center of the gospel. What do you think that the Jesus did in order to love us, he had to lose. That's, that's loving. That's a lot of times that people in our, in our time don't understand that's loving. And um, so I, I'm, I'm deeply moved by what you shared. And of course, those pictures, those pictures of Rwanda and seeing all those faces, it's hard to, you can't, it's one of the things that you can't really quite, um, you know, you can hear about a, a place like Rwanda, but, um, you know, when you see the faces, and I'm sure we can't really, course we weren't there like you 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 and joseph got to experience it firsthand but thank you for sharing those things and um i I feel like you you know i can just refer back to some of the things you shared in the middle of my sermon all right Uh, i was like great you just made my sermon easier all right um in this series on mercy so let's get into um today's word which i've entitled the heart of covenantal response it's part two in our series on mercy and it's part two in this passage. Um, it's a, we're going to today uh, focus more on the second half of this passage. Last week, 
I really um, spent a lot of time unpacking to you, unpacking those those verses 16 um, through 19, which is really the beginning portion out of Isaiah chapter 61. And Jesus is applying that to himself. I have been anointed to bring good news um, to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to those who are blind and um, and oppressed. And um, that was a huge piece of biblical theology. And really, and if I could try to put this in a nutshell, the reason I went through that very important um, piece of understanding where we, where we looked at passages in Leviticus about the year of the Lord's favor and that Jesus would come to bring an ultimate year of the Lord's favor, an, an ultimate release from slavery and from debt, and from and, and from oppression and just and and from the injustices and all the different things that cause poverty and loss. And so I shared all that because that because the common thing in our culture and pretty much just everywhere is that what is the motivation for why we consider mercy care for the poor? Why, what is the main motivation that most people do? And that is. The, throughout most everybody, it, the, mo, the main motivation is, what I, I would call it do-goodism, right? That's the main motivation. It's our righteousness. I'm a good person. It is a righteousness of our own making do-goodism. And like I said last week, you don't have to be a Christian to be a do-gooder. Um, uh, and a lot of people think that Christianity and do-goodism are the same thing. They are not the same thing. They're not even close to the same thing. And I would even say it this way. If you want to go and help the poor primarily because this is about you being a good person and you're going to prove that you're a good person, maybe you're going to prove it to yourself or you're going to prove it to other people. Maybe you're even going to think that you're going to prove it to God. You're not a Christian. <laughs> that is not a Christian gospel motivation. That is just, just being a regular, average, sinful human being because, of course, on the one hand, you're just operating out of law, right? If you're going to operate out of the gospel, we must believe in the promises of the gospel. And the promise of the gospel is that God is coming to lift the curse off all of the brokenness of the world. That is what that, this Isaiah 61 passage where Jesus applies himself is proclaiming. Jesus is coming to say, I'm, I, am, I am the reason why we're going to have good news. I'm going to proclaim good news. And what it is about is not something just merely religious or something that happens after we die, it's going to impact how we live now. That's what I wanted to get at last week. Now, um, today, I want us to look at the second half of this passage. And it is not, um, I would say, it's not hard to understand, but it is nonetheless a difficult passage. Um, you notice it is a, most of us, when you think about Jesus, we think we, we see this kindly person, you know, lepers come to him, prostitutes come to him, and he's so kind, and he's so loving. And what we don't tend to think about is the passages where people want to murder him. That's what's going on in this passage. Did you notice that? The, the first half of this passage is he, he speaks an incredible word from one of the most important portions of Scripture in the Old Testament. And then he applies it to himself. And people are they're amazed at the grace coming out of his mouth. Then he turns it around and he pretty much tells them the reason these things don't happen is because you're, you're terrible. And this goes all throughout the history of Israel. 
And the only people that have received this great mercy, they weren't even Israelites. They lived in Sidon, by the way, which is, if you were there yesterday, Sidon was north. It was more in the Phoenician area. And, um, and then, then Naaman is a Syrian. Again, Syria is north. They're not Israelites. They received this great mercy, but not you. Wow. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm trying to think of uh, an analogy of what it would be like. It'd be sort of like walking into a Korean church and saying, the reason nobody in, in, this, in, this, uh, in this church receives great mercy and miraculous things from God is because you don't know how to follow him. And, 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 the, and the Indian person over there or the Chinese person in the, you know, who lives about 20 miles away, they received mercy, but none of you because none of you were good enough. That's what he said. Can you imagine saying that to a whole ethnicity or to say that to go, go to in the middle of the South where there's a, just rife with racism and people consider we are the right people and those people are bad. And, you know, and maybe everybody in the, in the church is Caucasian and there are members of the Ku Klux Klan who are Caucasian, maybe in like the 1800s in the South, or maybe even, even the 20th century, and for Jesus to straight up say to them, the reason certain things don't happen to you is because you don't get it. But it happened for those people over there, those black people over there. Wow. And he just said it right to their face in the synagogue, in their house of worship, and um, the reason I'm saying it to you this way is I want you to understand why they got so upset, why they got so angry. I mean, he is just lifting up something right into the core of their sin. And um, that's, the, that's why it's a difficult passage. And um, I want to get into it today in three parts. Part one, mercy as acid test of covenantal faith and response. Mercy as the acid tests of covenantal faith and response. Part two, what it can look like if we really respond with mercy, faith and mercy. If we have a true, full covenantal response to the gospel, what it can look like here in Silicon Valley. And part three, the radical, radically merciful heart of our Father. Right? The radically merciful heart of our Father. Um, Part one, um, I just, this uh, mercy as an asset, I, I just gave you a picture of what's going on here. So Jesus, so let me unpack this passage a little bit. Jesus pretty much says, oh, some of you will just say, physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did in Capernaum, do it, do it here in your hometown as well. So Jesus is preaching where he grew up. Capernaum is not a town too far away. And he's been doing, he's been preaching and performing miracles there. What do you think those miracles are? Those miracles are pretty much all acts of mercy. You see it? I mean, what is it when a, a leper comes or someone who's blind? It's, it's, it's an act of mercy. Um, a person who's blind is just straight up a beggar. So is a leper because lepers are, lepers are kicked out of their community. Or um, he's doing things... Um, healing the sick, uh, you know, particularly caring for widows. Now, uh, uh, now, so what are they interested in? What Jesus is accusing them of just saying, you just want me to be a wonder worker. You want me to snap my fingers and show miraculous power 
so you can experience miraculous power. You want to see, you just want to see me be like a miracle man, a holy man, um, and then do some teaching. And, and th those are the kinds of things you're just saying. Physician, heal yourself. It's like, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a strange thing that he's trying to say there. I'm, I'm not, I mean, I don't know if we quite get it. He's like saying, um, you know, be, you're the doctor. <laughs> you could just take care of it. It's something like that. But then he goes on to say, um, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown, but in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, three and a half years. And a great famine came over all the land, and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed but only Naaman the Syrian. Now let me stop. What is he talking about here? Um, he's talking about a time when there were two very important prophets sent by God. They were here to bring God's word, his will. And they were not heard. The, the first prophet that is referenced in, in the, with the widow in Zarephath in Sidon, that's, that's uh, Elijah. And that is a story that comes out of, let me, let me get this correct here, 1 Kings chapter 17. So if you're curious, go back to you know, the book of 1 Kings and you can read that story. But if you really want to get the flavor of the story, you've got to read a couple chapters before and afterwards, and you can see how much the time, the culture. Um, Elijah was sent to a time when the king was a guy named Ahab. Um, you guys may have heard the name of Ahab. He's referenced in certain you know, famous American novels, but it's always a reference back to this particular king in the history of Israel, and Ahab was an idolatrous king. He... He would use his power to set up um, temples to Baal, and Baal, Baal is an evil god back then that essentially you would sacrifice children to for your riches, for, for riches to come to. And so that a king of Israel who's supposed to be faithful to the will of God, to the word of God, to the covenant of God that he's received to set up sacrifices to an evil God like this. Why? For the, because, because what do you get from this God? What we get is prosperity and riches. And so what would Elijah's word be? Elijah's word from God would be, this is an evil God. You're being an evil king. And you can imagine that king didn't like him. Well, guess what? When the king doesn't like a preacher and uses his great power and his influence, it's just normal in a culture that the people tend to side with the power. And they don't want to hear this message. They don't want to hear this prophet. They don't want to hear this word, this preaching. That's what was going on. And um, to a certain extent, Jesus is naming, I mean, he's, he's speaking to his hometown. And do you notice the, the reception? Isn't this, isn't this Joseph's son? How can this guy be the one who has a word for us? Because Joseph is just a carpenter. Um, usually a carpenter's son doesn't say, he's not esteemed. I mean, you can think about this. Imagine if an uneducated person were to come and preach here. Um, I, I don't want to be mean to, to you or even to me, because I would probably think this too. I was like, what does this person know? 
That would be our, our, our reaction, right? Some of you listen to me because you know I went to seminary and I have deep training in scripture and I can tell you, you know, things about history and, and about theology and that's partly why you should listen to me because I have been trained and I have been approved by other um, men who are worthy to preach God's word. And so imagine if the carpenter's son shows up and nobody thinks he's worthy. That's part of what's going on. But part of it is because he's just familiar. He's from his hometown. I actually um, think about this passage and other passages like it because San Jose is my hometown. And I kind of wonder sometimes, I go, maybe I shouldn't be in this city. Maybe if I'll, I'd be a little more effective if I was. Um, but uh, I, I don't think you guys uh, look down upon me because I'm from, the, I'm from here. Um, but it was happening to Jesus. Right. And Jesus, for varying reasons, it's, it's interesting. In Elijah's time, the king didn't like him because he would rather have prosperity than listen to this message. Um, similarly, so Elisha's time, that's the name in the Syrian. Elisha, um, in a lot of ways, had to carry on the ministry of Elijah. And similarly, during that time, they would rather worship false gods for the sake of the promise of prosperity than hear the real word of God. Um, that is the kind of thing that's going on. And um, what is this issue about? And when Jesus pretty much, I mean, he just, he just put, stuck it out right to them. He pretty much said, you guys who are sitting here, you're just doing the same thing as, and they know their scripture, they know their history. So, he pretty much told them about one of the worst, most evil times in Israel history. And you're the same. It's pretty much what he said. This is how you, the way you're treating me now. This is you. And so they got so angry, they wanted to throw him off a cliff and murder him. Now, um, uh, thankfully, uh, none of you are going to get so mad at me for my preaching. And so far, you know, I've been the preacher here for eight plus years, and nobody's tried to, to kill me. There has been some people who have quietly probably said, this guy's an idiot, and I'm just going to leave. Okay, that's, that's kind of the way we do it in, in, in our culture. We don't try to murder the preacher. You just kind of vote with your feet. Some people vote with their dollars. I, I don't know of anybody in our church who votes with their dollars. Some people vote with their dollars. Some people vote with their feet. Some people spread rumors around the church. Um, that's the, the typical way that we uh, object to our prophetic voices in today's time. Um, now, I, I want to just talk about why. what is the importance that this word is right after the Isaiah 61 passage. What is the relevance? That's what was going on back then. What is the relevance today? I, I, what I want to point out is um, I think what this set of verses is getting at is that all times at all places, there's something about, because this is a word that's not just given only for that time. Everybody who reads the scripture, is we're going to read this incredible passage, Isaiah chapter 61, that Jesus applies to himself. And then everybody from now on until Jesus returns is going to read the next passage. So we're all supposed to wrestle with this passage. What are we supposed to hear from this passage? If we imagine that we are receiving this word from Jesus, and I'm, you know, I'm, the, I'm your prophet trying to give you the real prophet, Jesus, what are we supposed to receive from this? And as I meditate on this passage, it's, you know, if you look at all throughout the Old Testament, this message that God is coming 
to come heal and lift the curse and that Israel is called to be a light to the nations and one of the most important ways that they are a light to the nations is how they treat the blind. Will they push back oppression? Will, what will they do with the brokenhearted and the poor? Because the poor are not just people who don't have money. Did, did you see those pictures? Did you see those pictures that, that our brother Danny and his brother Joseph showed from Rwanda? The poor, the poverty is not just about a lack of money. It's about lack of knowledge, like fundamental things that we consider utterly basic, like sanitation. If you don't know about bacteria and sanitation, then, and you keep washing with dirty water, then your children die. <laughs> or maybe your husband dies, and now you don't have anybody and then you just go straight into poverty. So it's even poverty is not even just about lack of money. It's about lack of knowledge. Or what if the people who control the water supply decide to only let you deal with the bad water and keep the clean water for themselves? Yeah, that's another common kind of thing that happens all throughout the world and throughout history. And what if the people who are in control are very powerful and if you were wanted to have a fight with them, um, they would send their thugs to you or they would send the corrupt police to you because they bought out the police. They would use their connections and your family would suffer. Maybe somebody in your family killed. I'm just talking about things that are just utterly normal in history. Thankfully, it's not normal in our society. And that means our society has had great advances. And it's one of the reasons why many people want to live here and why they would listen to a guy who just graduated from high school or um, you know, a guy who just graduated, you know, who didn't even graduate, but he's in his junior year of college because all these young people, they know they're poor. And these two young men from America, they have something to offer us. They have something important to offer us. They know that. They know that. That's why you literally have hundreds of young people would receive our two young men. And in our, you know, I mean, these, these guys are not, are not the most knowledgeable guys in our church, but in their poverty, incredibly knowledgeable, right? So think about that. But if you were to push back against some injustice or some lack of caring in the culture, or critique our leaders because they just completely ignore all this poverty in our culture, then what would happen? You would get, you would suffer the consequences because the powerful people, your, the people in your culture would come down on you. So one of the things I, I want to point out is, and this is all throughout the history of Israel, but it's not just the history of Israel. It's just the history of, of, of humankind. It's just normal. It's normal. Um, well, well, guess what I'm trying to tell you is what it takes to really lift the curse and push back the curse of poverty and hurt. It requ requires an, a tremendous piece of conviction and faith. And what the Bible has is, it, when you get all throughout the, I mean, I mean, for those of you who haven't read the big chunks of Old Testament law, that God deeply cares how the poor is treated and that certain laws are in place. And last week, I talked to you about um, the laws of the year of, of, of Sabbath, of, of the way you, there's supposed to be years of Sabbath. And then there's supposed to be an ultimate year of Sabbath called the year of Jubilee. And 
That, is, that would utterly change who is poor in our society. But notice, people who have money don't want to do a year of Jubilee in the 50th year. We just release all, we, we give up all debts. I mean, I, I mean, can you imagine if in our time we try to convince all the powerful banks to say, oh, this is the year of Jubilees coming up, Fifth, the 50th year. You have to release all debts. We have to release all debts. There'd be a lot of incredibly rich and powerful people. They would say, are you effing kidding? <laughs> there is no way that's going to happen. And they would you know, mount all the lobbyists, and they would never let that happen. But that is the way Israel was run, or it was supposed to be run. And regularly, they wouldn't do it. Hmm. Now, what am I getting at? We believe that Jesus has come to do this for us by grace. But that God, why would God, every 50 years, that person, that person gambled all his money away. That's why he got into debt. And then that's why he had to sell his son to me in slavery because he's in debt to me. But now, two years later, <laughs> I have to, or four years later, I, he still owes me. He hasn't paid off all the money he owes me. So, because, you know, uh, so like, he still owes me half that money. So, but the 50th year, boom, I have to just give this up. And so I lose my money because I have to forgive this debt. You know what that means? What that means is God is a God of grace, but that God entered into a covenant with Israel to say, you will receive my inheritance and be my sons and daughters, and you must be like me. You must be like me. To receive grace is to be a partner in grace. Now, let me talk about this. It's very important. A covenant, covenant has two aspects to it. A covenant means like a deep relationship-defining agreement that changes two parties. And then the way that I, I, I've always, um, I typically try to teach this, a covenant always has three parties. God and then two other parties that get together. The, the, the most visible vision of this in our culture is, is marriage. A man doesn't know, you know, he meets this woman and he goes, we're not going to just be boyfriend and girlfriend. We're not going to just live together. We're going to take on a covenant. Under God, I'm going to vow that I'm not going to have just be your boyfriend or just be some guy that, but I will now promise to be your husband, which means if somebody breaks into the house, I will die <laughs> to defend you. I will take on jobs when, that I don't even want to do anymore because that sucked the life out of me because I will provide for you. Our children, I will die for those children. That's what it means to be a husband. Do you understand? So in one sense, you're making, there's two aspects of it. We go under God to make this promise, and it utterly, it reshapes our identity and our relationship. God came to make a covenant with Israel. So he is the judge of the covenant, but then he came to be the covenant partner, so it's, he's like two parts of it. You see, there's three prayers. He's the judge of the covenant, and then he is the one. And then the part that we like is that the, the husband of the covenant, because that's what God is, would always give and sacrifice for the bride, Israel. Israel would receive by grace, because God willingly put himself into the thing. But here's the part. So a covenant with God has two aspects of it. One is there's always what we receive by grace, because we now are married to the Lord, through his, our covenantal relationship with him, right? 
But it's always intended not only to be one unilateral, we receive, where we only receive, 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 but that there's supposed to be a response. Because if it's supposed to change our relationship, our identity and our relationship, a covenant is supposed to make us into a beautiful relationship. So if God invites us to be his children, because that's what he did to Israel, and he says, I am a God of grace and love, and I push back poverty. You know how I push back poverty? It costs me. It costs me. How will you be my sons and daughters, or you will be like my bride, because these are all like visions of like how we are now deeply united. We will respond in faith to this relationship that we've been given by grace. What does responding in faith look like? That is, we will, we will embrace the same heart as, as our covenant husband. We're the bride, he's the husband, and we will engage in the same, uh, same mission and vision as him. And what is that mission and vision? This. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's his heart. Our brother Danny shared that in order to love people, you have to lose. That's in a nutshell what God does. That's in a nutshell what he does when he marries this really broken down, messed up people. In order for them to love them so that they can get it, he loses. But then here's what he says. If you get me, now you will turn to the broken and the hurting in your midst, and you'll have the same heart as me. You will see my heart, and then your heart will be shown in the way it goes out, and you will be willing to lose. That's what year of Jubilee means. The year of the I became to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, which means everybody who really covenantally responds to the Lord will lose on the year of Jubilee. They'll give up debts, they'll forgive their debts. They will lose in order to have the same heart, that's mercy. Brothers and sisters, that's mercy. Will we have a commitment to mercy? If we will have a commitment to mercy, that means we must count the cost and say, we are the same heart as our Father, and we'll lose something. It'll cost us. See? And what this word is, is all throughout the history of Israel, they don't want to do this, but they still want to consider themselves righteous. But when a prophet will come along and says, you don't get the covenant, you don't get God at all, you weren't righteous, that's why God would not do anything for you. Um, I told you this isn't hard to understand. <laughs> but it's hard to hear. Let me put it to you this way. Um, I, um, a, a, a while back, I gave... You know, two, um, two series ago, we did a, a series this summer called Treasure. And I referenced um, a passage out of Deuteronomy chapter 15. You know what that was about? The year of the Lord's favor. <laughs> That's another place in the Bible that talks about the year of the Lord's favor. And there, God gave very serious warnings. You dare not cheat your brother out of this, about how you handle your money. And then, he, and then it goes on and says, you will show him this great generosity those who are poor and hurting. And one of the things I point out to you is, and then I will pour out myself to you and bless you. And one of the things I point out to you is, have you, me, me too, I'll say this to me too, we, one of the reasons why we don't see miracles like 
You know what the miracle of the widow of Zarephath was? She had this oil jar and God would fill it. I mean, it's in a famine. A famine is, 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 is like today, we, we, the closest thing we have is like a recession. Do you know what it's like when you can't get food? Then it's like in Rwanda, people lie, lie, lie to get food. But the widow, that means she has no food. It's, it's in a famine and she's a widow. That's like doubly bad. Everybody is hungry and she's a widow which means you're the poorest person there because you have no man to like make the money and you're defenseless against anybody who might want to come to raid and steal from you. And all she had was this jar and God provided to that jar. God sent the prophet. I mean, it was, it was a crazy time to give you the story. The whole country is starving. They're absolutely upset. They're absolutely upset at Elijah. Elijah's actually running for his life. You know how God provides, if you go back to that chapter, God says, I want you to go out to this brook and then ravens will bring food for you. Birds will literally feed you. So he preaches this message and then he gets fed by God through birds. And then when that, and then the brook dried up because there was no water left. Then, you know, God is like, okay, now am I going to die, God? Because there's now no water from the brook. He said, go to a widow and I'll feed you that way. That's a crazy thing to do. You, go, you mean I'm going to go to the poorest, poorest person in not even Israel, and you're going to feed me that way? That's how God fed him. Naaman is a leper. He's not even an Israelite, but God healed him. There's, and he says, so Jesus, there's lots of like lepers and people hurting at that time, but you know why I wouldn't do it? Because they would not respond and believe in me. They would not be my bride. What is our takeaway? You want to see miraculous things in our church? You want to see God do things like fill up an oil jar that, from a widow? Things like, we don't have enough. We don't have enough. We don't have enough to do this, 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 and that. That's our typical excuse in, 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 um, in the 21st century. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough time. I don't know to, 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 some, you know, to, to help that person. And thus, because... We're concerned about our prosperity because that's what all people are concerned about at all times. And thus we don't follow and respond covenantally to the Lord's heart. And we will not embrace the year of Jubilee or seek the year of Jubilee. If we believe in the year of Jubilee, the year of the Lord's favor, then we just stay in this. And then we wonder why we don't see much miracles. We wonder why we don't see the miraculous things or the provisions of God, God doing incredible things. I told you it was hard to hear. That's what this passage is saying. At least that's what I think the passage is saying. I don't see how you can understand another way. Now let me go to part two. Whoa, pastor. <laughs> what can this look like in, here in Silicon Valley? Um, this is a stressful place to live. Um, just to make rent. I'm not even talking about mortgage. Just to make rent, it's not easy, I know. And um, I know that some of you have long commutes. I know that you're busy, you know, trying to help your children have good activities because those are some of the blessings of our city, but also some of it because like, hey, our kids need to have certain activities just to go to a decent college. So that then, of course, we could be stressed out living in a city like this. Pastor, we can't fix poverty. Did we say we're going to fix poverty? We, the, the scripture said Jesus is going to heal and lift curse. But we, if we have faith, 
in the covenantal fulfilling of so the gospel is to say that the covenant has been fulfilled. Fulfilled it through whom? Through Jesus. But if we will respond still covenantally to Jesus, he invites us, he invites us to the privilege of healing the world and lifting curse with him. See, he didn't just come. See, this is the part. If we just say, Jesus, can you just do miracles? That's the same thing as saying we would like you to just, you know, we'd love to have a show. Snap your fingers, miraculous stuff. That'd be so cool. But we don't want to do any work. We don't want to do anything that's going to cost us any sacrifice. But the normal thing that God wanted was, why don't you just believe me and follow me? Follow me, believe me. Be generous the way I want you to be generous. I want you to lose of your wealth and take less. That means, so... Okay, let me get at a few things. Number what I think you could look at. Number one, um, at the end of this series, I hope, and this one I hope will really stick in your mind. This one's going to stick in my mind. You know, I, I want to see things that are miraculous. So that some of the things that I want to see happen in Silicon Valley, in our church, after this sermon series, this whole series, not even this sermon, but this whole series is done, is number one, is I hope that, um, we will have a set of people, number one, you will want to see miraculous things and outpouring of God's goodness in us and through us. But that also means that we will want to have the same heart as God. We will always have a place where there will always be some ambition in this church. Not that we will just have more members or that we will just have more offerings or that we, you know, that we will be a so-called successful church and we'll have nice programs and that some people will come to faith in Jesus, but that we will have radical transformations of heart. That some of us will radically give our money some of us will decide, so it is my hope and prayer that that dream will never die in this church. And the way we begin to see that is, number one, we'll always be mindful of mercy in our time, giving, and talents. So I would love it, every single member of our church, obviously our time and our money and our talents the Lord knows we have to work. The Lord knows we have the bills to pay. And we have to, you know, use our talents in all kinds of different ways. But some portion, some portion, some habit throughout our, our life that we would, we would say, you know what, I'm going to volunteer for that thing. When we go, you know, go serve the poor over there, I'm going to go do it. Instead of just saying, oh, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Let's other people do it. But instead, all of us somewhere says, you know what, I didn't volunteer last year. I'm going to go this year. I didn't give anything last year. You know what? We're going to take a less vacation this year. Our clothes aren't going to be quite as good this year. That we will lose something and we will sacrifice something for that dream. That we, Because we believe in Isaiah 61. We believe in this Luke chapter 4. And we want Lord, we want widows like Zarephath, except it will be the widows of San Jose that we bless. We'll see lepers of San Jose healed. We'll see them right here in our church. That's number one, that all our people will always have that. And we will not think about the church the way our culture thinks about the church in this shallow way, which is always about our, it's always kind of like it fits into our prosperity. Do you notice that? 
We even define church in the way that fits into our prosperity and our agenda of prosperity. I would say that's the modern way of worshiping Baal, except in the name of Jesus. We say Jesus, but really we're worshiping Baal. If there's no place for mercy and the heart of pushing back the curse, I don't think we're worshiping Jesus. We're just not worshiping Jesus, because this is Jesus. Jesus is telling us who he is. If we will only want the Jesus that's just, would you make my life good? We turn Jesus into what I call the zap God, zap theology. I need more money. I need a new, better job. Jesus, zap it. Oh, that person's hurting. Will you just zap miracle it? Because that's what they want. They want like a miracle power like zap, zap. He did it. Oh, will you do it out here too? Jesus isn't upset about that. He's like saying, no. Why don't you respond covenantally and be my bride? and be our father's children. That's what he's asking for. A couple other things. In the future, and hopefully even just next year, um, every church, we know that everybody in the church doesn't have time and energy to do the special work of mercy. And so you know what churches have? They have mercy specialists. They're called deacons. <laughs> deacons do, they are the hands and feet of mercy and of the gospel in our church and through our church into the city. And I would hope that some of you would dream as maybe I'm a deacon. I could be a deacon. I would love to be. It would be my honor to be a deacon. And we would have people from the heart who wouldn't do it just because I just have to just do it just to be a deacon because, you know, if I'm a Christian, I guess I should take the step of being a deacon. But it would say, oh, I love Isaiah 61 and Luke chapter 4. May I be the Lord's hands and feet. And we'd have, we'd raise up leaders and specialists, and then they would rally us. And then we would go under their, and under their, un, under their knowledge and of the, on the ways that they've grown. And we would, we would do this. And our church would be rallied. We would, we would gladly sacrifice our money to those ministries. And we would, and gladly sacrifice some of our time to some of those ministries. Second, that's the second thing that I'd, I'd like to see happen. And this is the, this is, the way the Lord calls us to be. And the third one is um, no one church can do it all, of course. So what? There are, there are beautiful ministries in our city <laughs> where churches have gotten together, where Christians who have this diaconate heart, this mercy heart, and they've become very, very good at certain kinds of mercy and brokenness in our city, and that we will support those ministries. And if we don't have it in our church, then we can support them. And we will sometimes go and volunteer and help them. Or, and of course, we would give our money and our treasure to them. And some of you will maybe, you know, maybe you won't even do it directly through a church. You'll just say, you know what? I'm just going to give a certain amount of my treasure to this ministry. I love this ministry. And so, you know, we're offering, you know, toward, as we get toward um, Christmas, we're going to invite you to come and um, share and, and help one of the ministers that we especially love in, in our city, that's Heritage House, okay? Um, let me close this message. Um, you understand that our Father, you know, it, it's interesting because the Bible talks about God's relationship to Israel as, like, as a husband and as a father. Um, it's, it's to say, it's actually... The, the Bible is really trying to teach us it's because we don't exactly know what it's like. Actually, God's even closer than a father. 
and even closer than a husband. And when our Father looks at us, you know what He sees? I think when He looks at us who are better off and well off, we're certainly a lot richer than the people in Rwanda. I mean, you could, when you look at the people, the pictures of, that um, Danny showed us of the people in Rwanda, um, the average person in San Jose is just on orders of magnitude richer than people there and well off in terms of knowledge, relationships, you know, just, just systems, um, and of course, certainly, you know, food. But um, I think when the Father looks at even us, he sees deep and radical poverty. Poverty because we would rather chase after Baal and prosperity than, than the great healing that he's, he offers to us and to the world and to our nations and to our neighbors. And when he looks into our poverty, the poverty of the rich and the poverty of the poor and the, and the weak and the defenseless, he looks at those things. Um, he said, you know, you were so blind you didn't see your need of me <laughs> and you were so you were so unjust you would rather be selfish than seek after the glory of justice justice is love not in a feeling way but it's love to our neighbors you understand that huh? and mercy is justice in action <laughs> to those who are weak and hurting that's what it is mercy is justice justice is love <laughs> Mercy is justice in action to those who are weak and hurting. And when he looks at all of us, we are all unjust and unmerciful and selfish and prideful. And how did he do it? How will he turn our hearts so that we would receive his heart? He will say, I will give you the best of my heart, which is my son. And you are selfish, I will lose to give to you. And you would hold on to all your money, so I will give you my greatest riches. And you were unjust and unmerciful, but I will be merciful to you, and, and I will take the justice that you deserve, and I will be merciful to you even though you did not deserve it. And I will give you, and I will pay all your debts, and I will give you the year of the Lord's favor. I will give you a year of my favor forever. Come and receive through Jesus. And then come and join me and have the privilege of being a part of my covenant, the covenantal promise that I offer the world through the Son, Jesus. And so um, I hope that, you know, especially these first couple messages that by the time we get in the message three, four, and five, that you and I will all just, will throw away our do-gooderism. <laughs> we'll throw away the guilt. We won't give money from guilt. We won't give our time from fear. We'll give it because the Father gave us Jesus, <laughs> his treasure, into our deepest poverty. And then we'll take on the Father's heart. We'll respond in covenant. And we'll respond by going out into the world in mercy to push back the curse. Let's pray. But we're not good at this, Father. And we are not unlike 
the ancient Israelites. We were kind of consumed by the promises of Baal, the promises of prosperity. And very often we're willing to cut corners of justice. Um, and there's, you know, even right down to, I, I pray that there would be members of our church who would be convicted of, um, you know, false and unlawful practices, maybe even in their business. Um, that they would stand up for justice in their companies. I pray that um, in all these different ways, we would believe in Isaiah 61, because that's you, Jesus. And we pray, Lord, we don't have this heart, but by grace through Jesus, we would receive this heart, Father, and be your sons and daughters. And New Hope Church would be a church that would ring of justice and mercy because we ring of the gospel. That the true gospel, of course, is filled with justice and mercy because you are a God of justice, mercy, of love. Justice and mercy flow from love. And we thank you, Lord, that you have loved us with justice and mercy, far more than we could have ever deserved, and you gave us a year of jubilee forever. So help us to offer that, that your shackles come off and you are no longer enslaved to proclaim that not just in word, but in deed, with our time and money and our talents. And we pray, Lord, for all, this, all the churches in our, in our city, that our city would be filled with true gospel churches, that our hurting neighbors would see that San Jose is filled with a real gospel, the true proclamation that the Lord came. He was anointed to proclaim the good news that those who are broken and blind, and hurting, and poor, and oppressed, would find the year of the Lord's favor. And so, Lord, may we proclaim that, may we walk with you in that, and we pray that we would see your miracles in the city, in our church. Would you deem us worthy to pour out your miracles upon us? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.